What is going on, everybody? Welcome back to the Big Blue in the Bronx YouTube channel. And this is the Big Blue in the Bronx podcast. So be sure to hit that like button, comment, and subscribe. Turn on post notifications so you know when a live stream pops or a video drops. Appreciate y'all coming back. Also, keep listening if you're on Spotify, Podbean, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, CastBox, wherever you get your podcasts. It is available on there and will continue to be available on there. Also, share this out as well. Um, excitement fills the air. Even if we lost. Because... We get to see what the rookies look like, the camp bodies look like, the undrafted free agents, and players hitting players, players tackling players. That's one of the more exciting things about preseason. But what's more exciting is the fact that the New York Giants actually won. When was the last time we won? Well, to be fair, the last time we won is the last time I was at a Giants game which was November 28th, 2021. And they had these jerseys on. Now, I didn't wear my Collins jersey. This is a Collins jersey. I'll probably turn it into a Antonio Williams or a Yusuf Corker jersey. But the principle of the point is that the New York Giants got a victory. And I am very excited. There's some things to work on, and we're going to talk about it. So we're going to go with offensive takeaways Defensive takeaways, reasons for optimism, causes for concern, some overreactions, and then snap counts. And then in the second half of the podcast, I'm doing something a little differently than I usually would. And this is only probably going to be a one-time thing unless something happens again. I wasn't able to get any Patriots people on for the preview. It was me and Donald Stewart only. And with that being said... um. I'm going to get on Sarah Marshall. She writes and covers for the New England Patriots. Um, we're going to do a little interview in the second half of the show. So if you're interested, keep listening throughout the show, the entire show. I think it's going to be a fun interview. You get to learn a little about a little bit about the New England Patriots and so on and so forth. Um, just overall first thoughts, man. Exciting. And yeah, without further ado, let's go into it. Offensive takeaways, I thought Daniel Jones and Tyrod Taylor looked good. And I know there's always going to be those people out there that are going to say, well, you know, Tyrod, he looked better than Daniel Jones. You could say that. You can say that, but he also got more snaps. See, if you include context, people look at it differently. Not just giving out the full statement, oh, he was better than Daniel Jones. Jones missed one or two throws, but he was good. The second drive, some penalties, the sacks, maybe a missed throw or two. That really didn't help, so that's why they punted. But the first drive, even though it wasn't their true offense, in my personal opinion, there was still some cool routes, and they looked calm, cool, and collected. Daniel Jones rushed for a first down, and they were converting on third down. I think they faced like one or two uh, third down conversions within that first drive and they got it and you know move the sticks 12 didn't look great aka davis webb and didn't necessarily have a good rapport with keelan doss keelan doss has been one of the stars during training camp and with that being said he didn't show up this game he didn't show up this game. I thought Davis Webb didn't look good either. 
Webb had a 50% completion percentage, 8 for 16, 51 yards. And then you look at Keelan Doss, one catch for six yards and five targets. So that's, I think, a 25% catch percentage, something like that. Maybe not even that. So Keelan Doss, if you're looking to make a roster spot, obviously Thursday's game was not your game. But... What do you expect out of Davis Webb, too? I mean, you know, he's a third-string quarterback, fourth-string quarterback that contemplated retirement and being the QB coach for the Buffalo Bills. Now, one thing I can say that I couldn't say last season, maybe not even the season before, but the running backs look great. I must say that. Saquon Barkley, we only saw a glimpse of him, so I'm not going to talk about him too much. But Gary Brightwell has officially stunned me. Antonio Williams, he looks great. Jashawn Corbin, he looks great. Sandro Platzcomer looks great. And we'll talk about the first string, second string, third string offensive lines. But what the fuck was Joe Judge doing? And a lot of people talk about, well, I miss Joe Judge, whatever, so I have the right on here, and it's my podcast, to talk about Joe Judge and that staff just a tad bit before we go on to some other things. What were they doing holding this guy back? In camp... I've been saying, look, he's had some sprout. He's had some spice to his running game a little bit. And he passed up Antonio Williams on the unofficial depth chart. But with that being said, I need to see that in the game. Well, he showed that. Seven carries, 40 yards, 5.7 yards per pop. And his longest carry was a 16-yarder. That Daniel Bellinger helped spring out. So... I don't know what they were doing last year, not necessarily giving this guy carries. I mean, it was mostly to Corey Clement and what was the other dude's name we had? Devontae Booker. So I don't know what they were doing, man. I don't know what they were doing. Maybe it was that he got reps and they were running just north-south and he's not that type of guy. I don't know, but Gary Brightwell, listen, man, for right now, you've stunned me, and that's a good thing. Uh, Deshaun Corbin, he only got six carries, but it's not so good on the stat sheet, but I thought he looked explosive. 3.8 yards per carry, which is not too great. Uh, as long as carries for five yards, six carries, 23 yards. And Antonio Williams, once again, just to cap it off, the running backs look great overall. Nine carries, 61 yards, a touchdown. His longest carry was 19 yards, which I believe was his first or second run of the game and to add a little positivity to Corbin's stats five catches 28 yards out of the backfield so once again not necessarily a bad night pretty good night for the running backs um Colin Johnson got most of the receptions on the offensive side of the ball he was their leading receiver Seven catches, 82 yards, 11.7 per catch. His longest catch was 17 yards. I believe that was one where he fumbled. And then he was targeted eight times, so he only either dropped or didn't catch one pass, which is really good. But he did fumble the one rep, which I had a big issue with. I forget if they went down the field on that drive. They may have punted because the defense looked good, in my opinion, for the first half. But can't do that he's looked good all throughout camp and he's proving that okay I'm not just a camp body but I'm also a preseason body and I can make this roster I could be an impact on this offense 
So whatever side of the coin you want to land on in terms of Colin Johnson, you know, that's your decision. I thought he looked pretty good. The fumbling, he did that last year against the Cowboys, but his knee was down. So he's going to have to get better with ball security. But overall, very good night for Colin Johnson. For a receiver that typically wouldn't fit a Dable Kafka offense, but he might because Galladay is Galladay. That's going to be a topic of discussion later on in the podcast. Um, and he's a 6'4 vertical threat. That's not necessarily what you would do in a Dable, Kafka, Buffalo, Kansas City offense, but he's more versatile and he's younger. Um, Richie James is who we thought he was. Excellent, excellent deflected catch. That was the one where Colin Johnson, I think, didn't catch it, but I don't know if it actually goes on Johnson's record. Um, it was tipped by Johnson and Richie James just went up and brung it down. That's a guy who wants to compete for a roster spot. That's a guy who wants to be on this team. And Richie James has had some crisp routes in camp. I've seen it for myself, beating Darnay Holmes, beating some other guys in camp. He's done it all. And he should make this roster. By no stretch of imagination is he just a camp body. He should make this roster. In my opinion, I believe he's better than C.J. Board. He's more versatile. And honestly, I think he should be catching the kicks and the punts from the other side, from the opponents. Because C.J. Board did yesterday, nothing too special. Deshaun Corbin had a nice return, and that was like 15 yards tacked onto it because of a face mask. So if it's not going to be Deshaun Corbin catching kicks, I think it should be Richie James. Now, you don't want Richie James hurt because of the whole wide receiver thing. Oh, what if... You know, Tony goes down, you know, what if Johnson goes down and, you know, you don't want James catching those kicks and getting hurt. That's understandable. But in my opinion, Richie James has more value on this roster than CJ Board. That's my opinion. Um, Austin Allen and Daniel Bellinger played well. Austin Allen caught a key pass on the last drive that went for a first down, it was a play-action boot. Um, and then also, Daniel Bellinger had a nice cut block on Gary Brightwell's big run, but he also got a holding penalty on the second drive, which moved them back a little bit. Um, but, hey, listen, that's that's what he's going to do. He's going to make mistakes, and he's going to do really good things. And I have high hopes for Daniel Bellinger, because he's the best tight end, honestly, we have right now. Jordan Akins ain't doing shit. Austin Allen, he's there. Chris Myrick, more of a blocking tight end. So they may just stick with Allen, Myrick, Bellinger. It might be a little bit of a struggle at first, because those are guys that are not necessarily experienced, but we'll see. In my opinion, the O-line held up well. Now, the first team, Evan Neal did give up a sack, so there's that. But overall, in the running game... All O-lines contributed well. They played well. Overall, there was 33 carries, 177 yards, and a touchdown, 5.4 yards per carry. We did not see that last season. We did not see that last season. And I don't even think we ran the ball well last preseason. At least, you know, this game is giving me some new vision. But I thought the O-lines did well. Um, to say they did spectacular to say that anyone stood out, not necessarily. 
but they played well. Garrett McGinn was at center, and he was a right tackle. But we're going to go into something else that concerns the O-lines. That thing is, Shane Lemieux and Jamil Douglas are both hurt. Lemieux has a toe injury, and to my recollection, Jamil Douglas has an ankle injury. That's not what you want to see. Now, I don't think toe injuries last too long. I don't think they do. Um, I could be wrong. I could be right. But that's not an injury you want to see if it's a long-term injury. A, B, that's not a player you want to see hurt. Now, you shouldn't really want to see any player hurt for that matter. But with that being said, Shane Lemieux is a starter. And if you need to put a Zudu in there, put a Zudu in there. But he had some growing pains last night. He had a holding penalty and just some bad reps overall. And it looks similar to his college tape at that. Jamil Douglas, he hasn't been good all camp. I don't want him hurt because depth is depth. And we'll see what happens with him. But it's getting really skinny with O-line depth. And that's not a good thing. We came in to this season from the offseason. Oh, Max Garcia, you know, he may make the roster. This guy may make the roster. Well, guess what? Max Garcia sucks. He had a holding penalty. But the fact that he started for the Cardinals last season, I think it was 11 games. And then, you know, he's been a backup and a starter and a backup and a starter. But not even to be standout or not even to be at least decent among these other guys that are not going to make the roster. It's just disappointing. It really is because we expected Garcia to maybe even be with the first team heading into camp. And he's with the third team. And to play with the third team, even though these injuries are happening, shows that Bobby Johnson and this offensive coaching staff have no faith in him. So either they're doing something wrong or Max Garcia just blatantly sucks right now. And once again, we wouldn't be magnifying this if our O-line depth was skinny as shit. Or if they weren't skinny as shit in terms of the depth. Apologies for the uh, mishap right there. But Devery Hamilton, he's probably not going to make the roster. Jamil Douglas already mentioned the ankle injury, so we got to see what's going on with him. Ben Bredesen is actually going to make the roster in my opinion. He's been solid. He's been better at center than Jamil Douglas. Garrett McGinn could make the roster. That's not saying much, though. He could play all over the O-line. Eric Smith is trash. He's not making the roster. Josh Revis, he's not making the roster. Roy Ambatika, he's not making the roster. He's an international guy. It's going to take a while for him to actually learn and, and you know adjust to the game. Will Holden, I think he could make the roster, but... How much better is he than the backup tackles we've had in the past? That's the thing. And that's pretty much our old line depth. Waiver wire, here we come. That's all I'm going to say. And it's not necessarily Joe Shane's fault. I think some players are really underperforming, and it's so sad. But to recap the offense, or I should say just to cut it off right here, 
Josh Azudu and Evan Neal, they definitely had some growing pains. Evan Neal gave up a sack. Josh Azudu, uh, still that problem with not using his hands a little bit. And he also got caught for a holding penalty. Let's go to the defense, everyone. Let's go to the defense. Other than a face mask penalty, Austin Calitro made some nice plays. He's not going to make the roster, but if he makes the practice squad, I, I guess that's a good sign for him, right? He had a pass deflection, which turned into his own interception, and then he had a quarterback hit in the second quarter, I want to say, because I recognize that, you know, Bailey Zapp was throwing downfield and he was getting rid of the ball really quickly, whether it be completed or incomplete. And Austin Calitro was in on one of the quarterback hits. So, shout-outs to Calitro. He had a heck of a game. Will he make the roster? Uh, I'm not too sure of that, to be honest. Um, Darian Beavers, man. A lot of people have been shouting his name, saying that he's going to be better than McFadden or, you know, he's going to start over him. I never really believed it until now. He got reps with the first team because Blake Martinez did not play. They wanted probably to hold him out because of the ACL. Same thing with Darius Williams and all these other guys. He got reps with the one, and he looked solid. There was one play where there was a check down to the left side, and the running back didn't catch it because he was afraid of getting hit. That's my opinion. And then there was a play to the right side. It was a screen tossed to Kevin Harris. Darian Beavers was right there for the tackle for a loss. So he played really good. Micah McFadden, he played really well too. Had a tackle for a loss along with Quincy Roche. It's going to be an interesting competition. And there may not be a set linebacker too, but these guys may kick Tay Crowder out of here at some point. And that's not to say Tay Crowder is a bad linebacker or a bad linebacker too, but it just depends on what Martindale wants. Not much of a presence from Kayvon Thibodeau. I was watching Brian Baldinger's breakdown. He broke down three total snaps of Thibodeau against the right tackle. Not bad. Obviously, people were looking for the big play, and the ball just came out a lot quicker. I know Carl Banks was talking about what he needs to do in the red zone to be more of an impact. And he's got to grow in some areas, but I'm not disappointed with him. I wasn't expecting him to get like three sacks this game. Adoree Jackson locked down. Aaron Robinson struggled. I think uh, quarterbacks targeted him five times. They completed two passes, 44 yards, and an interception. uh, Excuse me, not an interception, a touchdown. And then I'm going to combine this with Aaron Robinson's play. I don't think Andrew Adams played too well. Two penalties. And there were times that he was just late to defend Aaron Robinson. Now, there's going to be times where Aaron Robinson is on an island with the receiver. And he did struggle. There's no doubt about that. There's people on Twitter and there's just fans overreacting. Oh, this pick sucked. Oh, I criticized the pick and I'm right. What are we going to fucking learn by getting a veteran cornerback in here? What are we going to learn? These stop gaps, it's just not going to happen. It's not the way the coaching staff is going to deal with this. 
the way they're going to deal with this is they're going to give Aaron Robinson time at the second spot. And they're going to evaluate over the next few weeks, even in season. And if he's not good enough to their standards, they will pull him out and put somebody else in who's more worthy of the job and who is still young. Who are we going to get out there that's going to dominate? People are talking about, oh, A.J. Boye. A.J. Boye has not been good for like five fucking years. His last good season was what, with the Jaguars? So let's cut the crap, everyone. I may be biased because I like the Aaron Robinson pick. I like him as a player. He's going to struggle. That's going to happen. We can't be taping over everything in the Band-Aid solutions anymore. I know fans are so tired of losing and tired of these rebuilds because of the past regime. But don't forget that if you're going to do that, just remember what the Jerry Reese regime did. They taped over everything, Band-Aid solutions, and the team looked worse because of it. So you're going to see Aaron Robinson struggle. You're going to see some of the rookie safety struggle. You're going to see Thibodeau struggle. You're going to see the rush possibly not get there at times. It's about patience. And as long as we see progress, there's no reason to overreact. And when I'm mentioning Andrew Adams, I know he's a role player, but guess what? On that catch that Aaron Robinson allowed to Tyquan Thornton, I was going down, uh, I think, excuse me, going downfield which was the one after the penalty, which Aaron Robinson broke up. But guess what? Holding defense number 24. You know, going downfield to that throw. Andrew Adams could have been there, and he wasn't. Play number two. Two, three plays before the touchdown in the red zone. There was a throw. Aaron Robinson was right there. And he was trailing the receiver a little bit, but it ended up being incomplete. Guess who could have stepped right in front and picked that off? Andrew Adams. Andrew Adams didn't do that. So if you guys want to critique Aaron Robinson, if you want to overreact, go ahead. But include Andrew Adams in that. Because I don't think he had a good game. Let's talk about some other defensive players that didn't have a good game. I don't really get... And listen, they're going to grow. They're going to progress. They may even not improve their skill set. I don't fucking know. But Zion Gilbert and Darren Evans did not look good on Thursday. They did not. They struggled with the back shoulder fade so much, and they didn't turn their head around. That's one thing you absolutely have to do as a cornerback. Too many times was Bailey Zapp under throwing passes and the receiver would just stop in his tracks turn around make the catch and that'd be a big game we almost lost because of that and i'm not going to overreact too much but we're going to talk later about the db depth because people are concerned about aaron robinson they should be concerned more about this db depth because it just doesn't look good right now zion gilbert he's a small school guy whatever they got to turn their heads around. I don't care what school you come from, what state you come from, whatever. You got to turn your head around because some of those could have been absolute interceptions. And why I'm putting so much emphasis on this is because we don't know who fills out the back end of the cornerback depth chart. We don't know that yet. 
Gavin Heslop, he was okay. Allowed some passes, made some nice breakups. So maybe he's the guy that makes the roster. I don't know. Cordell Flott did look good, but he went out with a groin injury, so that's not very good. Uh, Trenton Thompson got a sack on a DB blitz. He made some nice plays, and I want Trenton Thompson to make this roster. I'm rooting for the best to make this roster, but Trenton Thompson, man, I'm really excited about his skill set and what he could provide for this team, not just on defense, but on special teams. No edges really stood out to me other than Quincy Roche, and that was for one play, to be honest. I mean, he has to be more impactful, in my opinion. Now, he did have a tackle for a loss with Micah McFadden and a quarterback hit, but he has to be more impactful because the other guys didn't show up. Ellerson Smith, one quarterback hit, which was possible safety, you know, could have been safety, really. Um, but back to Roche, he needed to make more of a presence of himself because he's so far down in the depth chart. Tamon Fox really didn't make any plays. Uh, Jihad Ward really didn't make any plays. O'Shane Zimenez didn't make any plays. So he needs to establish himself a little bit more if he wants to make the roster. And I'm rooting for him. I think he should make the roster. But to this coaching staff, and they're not necessarily a staff that has ties to him. I thought the run defense played well. Overall, 18 carries, 52 yards, 2.9 yards per carry, and one touchdown. You can't be mad at that. You can't. And the defensive line, they didn't really show out too much. But them combined with the linebackers in the running game, they did a very nice job. Very nice. Where last year, we could not set the edge for shit. But looks like our youth is a little bit better than last year, right? And then secondary struggles, we talked about that. Heslop was on and off. And then you had uh, Zion Gilbert and Darren Evans just struggling out there. I don't think they should have cut Jaron Williams, but he was injured at the same time, so who knows. Causes for optimism. The inside linebacker position long-term. Now, Blake Martinez ain't going to be here forever, folks. That's just factual. He's not going to be here forever. Um, Darian Beavers look good. Micah McFadden look good. Austin Calitro, I mean, he's going to be on the practice squad, but he looked good. Uh, not much from Tate Crowder. Didn't see any eye-popping plays but if you look at the depth I think it's solid long-term and I say long-term of course not now because at the beginning of the season if those guys get reps I'm expecting them to struggle they're sixth fifth round picks Micah McFadden and Darian Beavers but they played well enough so you could have excitement down the line overall the running back depth that, they just stunned me. They just stunned me. Antonio Williams, I thought he was going to be more of a bruiser type back. The 19-yard run excited me. Deshaun Corbin, you know, not just him out of the backfield, not just him as a kick returner, but him as a pass catcher. That could be dangerous this preseason, even if he doesn't make the roster. And then Gary Brightwell, once again, just stunned me. He's got some spice, explosiveness. I've changed my mindset. I've changed my mindset on Gary Brightwell. And maybe he does make the roster. Who knows? Causes for concern. The offensive line depth. They didn't play bad. But the interior depth continues to scare me. 
continues to scare me. Outside of Ben Bredesen, and I'm not mentioning offensive tackle depth. Because I think Will Holden could be one of those guys, and you have Josh Azudu. Maybe they get somebody on the waiver wire as well, because there could be a guy that gets cut. Outside of Bredesen, you don't have anyone on the interior that is absolutely reliable. And Bredesen is even a stretch. He is so much a stretch, it's not even funny. He didn't play well last year. He did not. Whether you say it's Sale or Ben Wilkerson that did that or the Joe Judge era, whatever. He did not play well last year. He did not play well. Andrew Thomas was the best lineman. That was pretty much that. But once again, run down that list. Jamil Douglas, even if he is okay, even if it's just an ankle sprain or just, you know, he hurt his ankle somehow, he's not good. He is not good. Uh, Max Garcia, majorly disappointing. Majorly disappointing that he's buried down in the depth chart. Garrett McGinn played interior offensive line with the generals of the USFL. How much of that is going to translate to the NFL? Is he really going to be on this roster as a depth piece? To be honest with you, I highly doubt it. Roy Mbetika, he's going to be on the practice squad learning the game. Devery Hamilton. He can play guard as well. But with that being said, is he really reliable? Is he going to be the Jackson Barton of this team? I don't know. Josh Rivas, undrafted free agent, nothing to see there. He really hasn't shown me much. And Eric Smith, he sucks. So with that being said, you got to go to the waiver wire. You have to sign some guys. And that's pretty much that because... With Shane Lemieux getting hurt, Andrew Thomas will get hurt at some point. I don't want to, you know, put that on him, but it's kind of becoming a thing a little bit. And, you know, what if Klawinski's out? I'm scared about that. What if John Feliciano is out? What if Bredesen is out? What if Azudu's out? You have to come up with all these questions in order to solve them so they don't hit you right in the ass when they come to fruition. Those situations, they come to fruition. So that's one of my concerns. The cornerback depth behind Adoree Jackson, Darnay Holmes, Aaron Robinson, and Cordell Flott. You have nobody. And I was talking very down on the O-line depth. But you have absolutely nobody you could trust right there. Michael Jacquet, I mean, he looked decent. But he was struggling to make a tackle last night. That worries me. Darius Williams did not play. So, is he even going to be healthy going into the regular season? Gavin Heslop looked okay. Gave up some passes, but at the same time, made some nice plays. Khalil Dorsey, he was one of the guys that actually stood out to me. He didn't allow a reception, at least to my knowledge, but he could be a guy that makes the roster because he's familiar with Martindale, not much experience, but he stood out. I don't think he allowed a catch all game was pretty much silent. Darren Evans and Zion Gilbert, they got to get better. If they want to make this roster, if they want to make this practice squad, progression is key. And they they just did not look good on Thursday. They did not look good. Uh, Nate Meadows, he could play a little bit corner, but you know nobody's really putting some stock into that. Next one, special teams coverage isn't the greatest. That's something they got to fix. And 
in due time, I believe they will fix that. But there are times in practice where I've seen them give up some big returns, and you can't tackle guys, you can't touch guys pretty much in the kick return and punt returning game. But there are times I've seen some big returns when I'm in training camp. I guess it came to fruition because there were a couple of nice kick returns and punt returns from the New England side. And it's not just giving up returns, it's the penalties. Andrew Adams, Yusuf Corker, Antonio Williams, one of them had a penalty on special teams. So that's going to have to get cleaned up. That's going to have to get cleaned up. And here's something I want to talk about for the final cause of concern before we head to the Sarah Marshall discussion slash interview, whatever you want to call it, uh, with the Patriots and all that stuff. The whole Kenny Galladay discussion. I don't want to have this conversation, but once I'm done sipping my water, it's going to happen. Refreshing. Kenny Galladay. In camp, when he wants to play, he's looked good. He's had some key drops. I think it was the second day I was there, he had some key drops. But, there are two plays that really piss me off from Thursday. And I've waited a little bit to kind of sound the alarm on Galladay. Because I said, you know what? Maybe it's just in camp. We'll see what happens in the preseason. $72 fucking million. And maybe I'll be wrong about Galladay. Maybe when it comes to the regular season, he'll play better because he just doesn't want to get hurt. He knows he's an injury-prone player. The one play down the sideline. Now, you could agree a little bit that Jones may have overthrown that. But Galladay had no intention of catching that ball unless it was right here. Unless it was right here. Which is bad. Because he could have released better. He could have just sped up to the ball. Maybe he could have made a diving catch. That would have been a touchdown. That's play number one. Play number two. The slant. Third and five. They could have gotten first and goal. Saquon Barkley goes up for a touchdown. Instead, they had to settle for for three because Kenny Galladay dropped that pass. He just looks disinterested sometimes. And I really don't want to say that because I rooted for the Galladay signing. I thought it was a good signing at the time. And I thought last year, the regime just didn't focus on him. They didn't focus on his strengths. And this year, he just looks disinterested. Maybe he's not happy with his role in the offense, but it's a damn shame when you consider this. Colin Johnson, he's tried. Darius Slayton, he's tried. Now, Darius Slayton, I forgot to mention a little bit, but Brian Dable said they were cutting it back on him, you know, I guess just in case for precautionary reasons. But when you have a guy like Colin Johnson who has the same skill set, a little bit more versatility, who's getting paid like, I don't know, $1 million, I think he is still on his rookie contract because he was claimed off waivers last year from the Jaguars. But when you have a guy like that who's not even a guarantee and he's playing harder than a $72 million guy, at least in preseason, and I could be wrong once again, you have an issue. Because Colin Johnson could work into the skill set of the offense. He could work into the framework of the offense. Kenny Galladay may, and he could possibly, But it just seems like there's not a fit right there. There's not chemistry. So, he may get cut after this year. I think the Giants 
are in financial position to do that. I have to look at spot tracking over the cap. They may phase him out of the offense. But even before we can get to that conversation, he has to put himself as a part of this team. And if he's not going to do that, then request a trade. Don't make us go through this bullshit, please. Because if you're not going to be on the field mentally, and you also half the time not on the field physically, because guess what? You're injury prone. Then don't put it, just don't put us through that. If that's his real mindset, and I would love to be wrong, trust me, you guys can come back to this podcast and say, uh, you were wrong about Gala, he was just saving shit for the regular season. I hope that's the truth. But right now, he looks disinterested in football, and it's a shame because it's costing this regime how many millions of dollars. Meanwhile, there are guys across the roster, not even just a wide receiver position, but there are guys across the fucking roster that would kill for a spot. But that spot is being held for for Kenny Galladay because $72 million. That's what I got to say. Anyway, be sure to hit that like button, subscribe if you haven't already. This is not the end of the show, of course, and we're going to go to the discussion, the post-game discussion a little bit with Sarah Marshall. Tune into that, and we'll see you then. Forgot to mention, before we go into the discussion with Sarah Marshall, I do have some snap counts. So let's get into it. Um, let's talk about the offense first. Devery Hamilton... Had the most offensive snaps, 81%. Garrett McGinn, 78%. Ben Bredesen, 74%. Daniel Bellinger, 49%. Max Garcia, 48%. Kyle Johnson, 45%. Josh Azudu, 45%. And Will Holden, 40%. Davis Webb, 40%. Tyrod Taylor, 38%. Keelan Doss, 37%. Ja'Shawn Corbin, 36%. Richie James, 35%. Robert Foster, 34%, Marcus Kemp, 30%, Austin Allen, 28%, CJ Board, 27%, Jamil Douglas, 27%, Alex Bachman, 26%, Gary Brightwell, 23%, Antonio Williams, 22%, Chris Myrick, 22%, Mark Lewinsky, 22%, Evan Neal, 22%. Same thing goes for John Feliciano, Daniel Jones, 20% for Kenny Galladay, 19% for Jordan Aiken, 16% for Wandale Robinson, 15% for Shane Lemieux, 15% for Saquon Barkley, 15% for Andrew Thomas, 7% for tight end, really H-back, Jeremiah Hall, 6% for Darius Slayton, 3% for Josh Rivas, Sandra Platzgummer, Roy Mbateka, uh, Eric Smith, and that is pretty much that for the offensive side of the ball. Let's go to the defensive side of the ball. Yusuf Corker, 56%. Austin Calitro, 56%. Khalil Dorsey, 53%. 52% for Zion Gilbert and Micah McFadden. 48% for Jalen Holmes. Actually got some reps with the first team. Uh, 45% for Trenton Thompson. 45% for Cordell Flott. 44% for Darian Beavers. 40% for O'Shane Zimenez. 40% for Taman Fox. 39% for Quincy Roche. 35% for Ellerson Smith and Darren Evans. 34% for David Moa, 32% for DJ Davidson, 
and Christopher Hinton, as well as Gavin Heslop, 29% for Andrew Adams, 26% for Ryder Anderson, 23% for Darnay Holmes. Same thing goes for Aaron Robinson, Julian Love, Tay Crowder, uh, Kayvon Thibodeau, Jihad Ward, Adoree Jackson, 21% for Cam Brown. Same thing goes for Michael Jacquet, Nate Metters. Then you go 19%, Nick Williams, 16%. For Gerard Wilson, 8% for Dexter Lawrence, and then 8% for Xavier McKinney. Um, I'll read some team stats before we go into the discussion. Once again, my bad for not including them in the first take. First downs, the Giants got 26, the Pats got 19. Passing first downs, the Giants got 12, the Pats got 10. Giants had 9 rushing first downs, Pats had 6. First downs from penalties, the Giants had five, Pats had three. Third down efficiency, the Giants were 50% on third down, nine for 18, and then the Pats were five for 12. Fourth down efficiency, the Giants were one for two, and the Pats were 0 for one. Total plays, the Giants ran 81, and the New England Patriots ran 59. Total yards, 418 total yards for the Giants, and 308 for the Patriots. Uh, total drives, the Giants 12. Patriots 10 yards per play both 5.2 for each team passing yards the Giants had 241 and the Pats had 256 the rushing 177 for the Giants and 52 for the Pats red zone Giants 2 for 4 Pats 2 for 2 penalties 8 for 65 uh, for the Giants and then the Patriots 12 for 89 both teams had a turnover each and the Giants had 33 minutes and 59 seconds of possession. The Patriots had 26 minutes and one second for time of possession. That is pretty much it here. And let's go to the post-game discussion slash interview about the Patriots with Sarah Marshall. All right. So now we are with Sarah Marshall of Fansided. She covers the Patriots. First thoughts, Sarah. And, you know, what were your thoughts on on the game on Thursday uh, for the Patriots? Well, my biggest takeaway, I don't, I can't speak for uh, the Giants training camp so far, but the Patriots have been a mess, (laughs) Um, especially offensively. So that was my biggest concern coming into the game. And then when we heard the Giants were going to be playing their starters, at least at the beginning, I was like, okay, I know the Patriots aren't. So this makes me more worried. So watching it. I was pleasantly surprised that the defense was able to actually hold their own for the most part against the starters. Um, They've shined in camp. So it was great to see that translate over to an actual game. And the fact that the offense wasn't horrible. Um, Brian Hoyer came out. It was Brian Hoyer. He looked a little bit better than normal, but um, it is the preseason. And then our rookie quarterback, uh, Zappi, he kind of didn't get started until the second half. He looked pretty erratic (laughs) in his first drive. Um, but that was a concern of his from coming from college. So it wasn't shocking, but they gelled a lot better than what's been reported at training camp. So I was fine. You know, it was a loss, a last second loss, but it's preseason game one, two teams that are very familiar with each other. Um, and of course it has to be a heartbreaking loss to the giants again, as if we haven't suffered enough. Right. (laughs) Thank goodness. It was just a preseason game. You know, it's funny you say that because the last two preseason losses, even before um, even before uh, this year, 
at, in New England last the last time before the COVID season was Alonzo Russell's touchdown. And then mm-hmm. before that, two years before, it was Aldrick Rosas' game-winning kick. Um, yeah. But, yeah, I did get to notice that Bailey Zapp turned it on in the second half. And uh, one of the problems, at least from the Giants, is, like, the depth at the cornerback position. And our corners were just getting burnt off the fade. Mm-hmm. Uh, Zion Gilbert and Darren Evans, to be specific. Now, you did bring up the offense, which was actually my first question. Mm-hmm. Uh, our former head coach, who I – wanted to get fired i'm not gonna be silent about that yeah um he uh he's now your quarterback's coach and matt patricia's calling the plays you said that's been a mess during camp what are your overall thoughts on it do you think it's going to succeed do you think it's going to iron out what are your thoughts I am a very optimistic fan and sometimes I can be optimistic to a fault so um I tend to just believe that something is going to be better and it's going to be good so when I first heard about the two of them coming back I wasn't thrilled obviously they didn't have successful tenures as head coaches in their respective uh, cities but um, the part that I like is just the familiarity with the organization with Belichick they were both successful when they worked with Belichick so that has you know a benefit obviously But what was a little confusing last night, I don't know if you've noticed or you saw the reports, but both Judge and Patricia were like rotating play calling. So when Hoyer was on the field, Patricia was calling plays. And then when Zappi was on the field, it was Judge. So it kind of was like, what's going on here? Who's actually going to be calling the plays? Um, I think inevitably it's going to be Patricia. Um he probably won't get the title, which is not new for Belichick either. It's happened before. I I'm hopeful. Um, Belichick did mention in his own Belichickian way that um, if this new offense that they're trying to implement doesn't work, that they will kind of revert back, which is what we saw in last night's game. You didn't really see a whole lot of that new stuff that they were trying to bring in. So um, I'm hopeful um, trying to be as optimistic, especially from, you know, the, the options that they have. What is the new offense that you think they're trying to incorporate? Because we are trying to incorporate a new offense as well with a lot of motion. motion. And, you know, last year it just seemed like we were the oldest offense in history in the NFL last year. What are the Patriots trying to incorporate? Because I'm not really familiar in that field. From what's being reported, and it's hard to say because um, they they weren't showing a lot of it in practice. It's like a little bit. But then, I mean, as you saw in the game last night, from what a lot of people were saying, you didn't really see a lot of that new stuff. Whether that was intentional or not, I don't know. But they're saying it's more of a Shanahan-McVay type of offense. So trying to get to the run game, double tight ends. And they should have been doing the double tight ends last year. I don't know why you have John o. Smith and Hunter Henry and you don't use that, but that's a debate for another day. Um, so it is something, you know, use, uh, uh, going faster and just implementing those older types of things, you know, that Shanahan was famous for. So um, I, it's not looking great in practice as far as for the offense, defenses look great, but it's a little worrisome. Like it's, it's a lot for a, a lot of the team is young and some of them are even, you know, in just their second year, we have a, a second year quarterback who then had to learn last year, a brand new system going into the pros and now switching over to a completely new coach and new system. So something to monitor for sure. 
Yeah, along with the along the lines of the concerns of, of the new offense and stuff like that. And you mentioned that they didn't really bring a lot of it last night. Mm-hmm. Uh, my New York Giants did a good job stopping the run. They only allowed 52 yards. It was like two and a half yards per carry. And yep. we didn't have Blake Martinez or Leonard Williams in. But is that a cause for concern just overall or in terms of depth pieces? Did the running backs not find the hole or the Giants just did good in the trenches? What is your opinion on that? I think it was a combination for sure. Um, it's That's another part that has been a big struggle, particularly offensive line for the Patriots. They're just not opening up for the running backs to get through. They have been struggling protecting the quarterback, which they did good with that last night, only allowing one sack. Um, but yeah, it's a little concerning because they do have quite good depth at the position. Um, unfortunately, James White announced his retirement yesterday, so that was a huge blow. Um, but they did double dip in the draft, drafting uh, Pierre Strong Jr. and Kevin Harris. But you didn't see a whole lot from them last night. They just couldn't get anything done. So I think it was a combination of the Giants doing a good job and the Patriots offensive line just, just blowing it up, essentially. Now, the NFL world was basically mocking the Patriots for this pick. What did you first think when the Patriots selected Cole Strange? Um, well, I do want to say he has a great number. He's going to be Cole Strange 69. That's his jersey. So that thing is going to sell out everywhere, I'm sure. Um, at first, of course, you know, with with all of the options that they had um, at their original position, I was excited. I was really wanting them to go defense. So when they moved back, I was like, oh, my goodness, like you're not going to have these guys available to you when you move back with the Chiefs. I think they moved back to 29. Um, So the original pick was not my favorite. Um, But when you hear the explanation and the fact that they kind of needed that on the offensive line, I like it more. Do I wish that they maybe went for like a N'Kobe Dean or somebody like that? Yes. Um, But. You know, I think with the issues that we're seeing at offensive line, adding somebody who's going to be reliable and good at his position might be better long term than just getting the shiny, you know, great popular pick um, that everybody wanted. Belichick doesn't do that. He doesn't pick who we want. Um, Two questions really combined into one here. There's a ton of receivers who are studs in the 40 yard dash at the combine. And they're not really successful at the NFL level. John Ross is one of them. He played for us last year. Mm-hmm. Do you believe Tyquan Thornton can be success- successful? He played well last night. And how do you feel about the Patriots wide receiver spot being the most expensive in the NFL? And do you think it will work out in the long run? I hope so. I think so. To answer the first part, Thornton, I think it was exciting that they drafted him. That was the speed of the receiver position for the Patriots has been a big issue for them over the last couple of years. So the fact that they then went and got the fastest guy, um, you know, wasn't a favorable pick when they picked him, but I like it. And so far it's looking okay. Um, I'm kind of surprised that there's such a receiver competition this year. A lot of people were not expecting that. I certainly wasn't, but they have a lot to choose from. And the fact that it's the most expensive is kind of crazy because you look at the names and you're like, "Mm," you know, there's not like a complete wide receiver one or, or um, a player that everybody would be hoping was on their team. But I think the, I I like the tight ends. Um, They're set there. I really like the addition of Devontae Parker um, coming out of Miami. I like that pick a lot. Kendrick Bourne is going to be great. 
Um, and, and the speed from Thornton, I, I said it um, earlier when I was on another um, show that it's almost like his speed worked to a fault last night. Like it was almost a problem. He was going too fast. So if they can kind of tame that, then I think he can be, he can be good. Um, but yeah, the price is a little unnerving, but they do have quite a bit in cap next year. So if something doesn't pan out with the receivers that they do have, um, they've worked with way worse. If we're being honest, they have over 53 million projected in cap next year. So they can try and get um, a top free agent, whoever's available. I don't even know who's available next year. Personal question of mine, because last year he was tearing it up in joint practices and even in the preseason against the Giants. And then this year he had half a sack in Thursday's game. Josh Uche, Mm -hmm. uh, three sacks last year, had half a sack last night, as I mentioned. Uh, does the coaching staff view him as a rotational player? He's only got some odd, like 30% of the snaps last year. Was it because of Judon's presence? What's the story with him? I, I think that's part of it. Um, but what was weird is Judon kind of fell off in the last handful of games. And I feel like they never really found a consistent piece there, um, to, to, line up with him and be just as dominant at the position. But I think now that they've gone younger and Uche is now going into his third season, he might end up being that guy that can line up with Judon. But I do think he's going to be rotational for sure. Cause they have so much young talent now, now that they have like McGrone back and um, Perkins who didn't play last year. So I think, I think that's what is what we're going to see. But we, I liked what we saw from him last night. Um, and I was kind of surprised that he played at all, if we're being honest. Um, I would consider him more of a starting caliber guy, but um, at least he was leading the way. He got this, oh, I think it was like, what, the only sack of the game? For the Patriots side, yeah, him and uh, Sam Roberts. Yes, I know. We love Sam Roberts. That was really exciting, too. And he's a Patriots fan. Like, what a match made in heaven. Many stories like that across sports. Yeah. Yeah. Um, how do you feel about the reconstruction of your secondary? At least, you know, that's the way I view it. Uh, bringing back Malcolm Butler, Terrence Mitchell, who's a vet, Jack Jones, uh, Marcus Jones. And then what's the story with Joan Williams, who was the second round pick from 2019? Like, what what's the story there? Uh, you know, I haven't heard much about him. I from I've seen Patriots blogs and they said he really disappointed last night. So thoughts on the reconstruction of the secondary? I, they're definitely trying to go faster, more athletic, younger at the position. Obviously, they lost both Gilmore and J.C. Jackson last season, which was heartbreaking, but I guess it was going to happen. Um, as of the cornerbacks, it's looking like Jalen Mills has solidified himself as cornerback one, at least in my opinion. That's what it's looking like in training camp so far. Um, so it's trying to figure out who's going to be on the other side, which it seemed like it might be Malcolm Butler, but then we got the Joneses. Um, I was a little surprised that Jack Jones got the um, start over Marcus Jones last night. Marcus Jones wasn't even suited up. So that was surprising. I I think that it's paying off. Mar- uh, Malcolm Butler has some rust. He needs to shake off. He was retired for a season. So I think that that showed a little bit last night, despite his fumble recovery. But um, I, I, I'm liking it so far. It's, you know, they have big shoes to fill. J.C. Jackson was super productive in his time with the Patriots. I think last year he had eight interceptions. Um, and then, of course, Gilmore is not many years off of being de- defensive player of the year. So um, 
I, I, I'm, it's another part that I'm optimistic about. Um, you know, we have to see a little bit more, but that's not been something that's very concerning in camp. But Joan Williams, as you said, a lot of people, Patriots fans are, can be very fickle. And they were very unhappy with him last night and his performance. And most people were hoping that he was going to be cut before the end of the game, which was not me. <laughs> but um, yeah, he's definitely one of those guys that's going to be probably on the chopping block. He's going to need to try and figure a way out to climb the depth chart because right now other guys, especially the rookies, are outperforming him. Obviously, Joe Judge didn't bring this style to the New York Giants with Patrick Ram. But is it true that the Patriots only start one inside linebacker, that being Jawan Bentley, when it comes to the regular season? I think so. But I again, they're trying to change stuff. They're trying like there's so much of an emphasis of getting faster and more athletic, especially like on the line and within the linebackers. I mean, they still haven't even brought back Dante Hightower and they let Kyle Van Noy walk. They let Jamie Collins walk. So these veteran guys that they've been very dedicated to haven't come back. And and one of the reasons with Hightower, as much as, you know, Patriots fans love him, he's slowed down a lot. So um, they need to, they need to be better at, getting to the quarterback. That was the biggest issue. Look at what happened against the bills in the playoffs. There was Josh Allen could do whatever he wanted and take as long as he wanted to do it. So I'm not sure exactly what their plan is, but um, I just, you know, pass rush is something I was watching last night. So I was just glad that they were able to get their hands a little bit on Daniel Jones. Hopefully it'll keep going in that direction. Yeah, both teams had four quarterback hits and one sack alike. Now, I have a Jets fan brother. Okay. Um, How did that happen? You know, I, I'm a I'm a Giants fan, and I'm the only Giants fan in the family, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. So I, I've made the better decision. But <laughs> I'm going to Miami Dolphins game next week. How do you guys mm-hmm. – how do you see yourselves in the division? The Jets are getting a little bit better. As of right mm-hmm. now, they are losing in the game against the Eagles, even though it's preseason. The Dolphins, they got a new head coach. How do you see yourselves in terms of outlook on the division up this upcoming year? I I would say that the Bills are still constructed as the number one. Um, they're definitely all in this season. They're over the cap next year, so they're going to have to make some changes. So I think that you know they're trying to get it done this year. Clearly the number one in the East. I think that the Dolphins are going to be kind of difficult. They've always been a, a difficult team, no matter you know who was that quarterback for the Patriots. We start off in Miami, which is wonderful because that is where the Patriots always struggle the most. So, you know, they have Tyreek Hill, which is never an easy guy to stop. I think in their case, though, it's going to be how consistent can Tua be? I think that's what's really going to hinder like whether they're successful or not the Jets did have a really good draft and they pick up picked up some really good pieces on both sides but again it's another one that's with a quarterback so Zach Wilson got injured in this game actually there's some fears that he may have tore his ACL so we'll have to look at that because that could drastically change their season I don't even know who their backup is is it still Flacco I think it might be it's Mike White then it's Joe Flacco okay well Joe Flacco is a Patriot killer so I really hope that he doesn't get to play us um but yeah I would say I would like to think the Patriots are like number two and three they're going to be teetering with Miami I I, uh, the Jets will be jet the Jets I don't know that they're really going to be super competitive but 
yeah, I, I, I'm more, mostly concerned about the Dolphins to take over that number two spot. And then finally, weaknesses on the team, strengths on the team in terms of position-wise, and also where can people find you? So the strengths, okay. Well, definitely their running back room. If they can get that figured out, they need to find somebody that can't necessarily be James White but do what James White would do and that's you know they, they love to pass the ball to to the backfield so if they can find that in Pierre Strong Jr. or Kevin Harris or even Ramondre Stevenson we're good um, they're pretty deep with linebacker and they're also pretty deep at corner um, so they're gonna have to figure out what direction like I said that they want to go in there but I'm not too concerned I feel like there's been a lot of people that have shown up in training camp that people weren't expecting like a lot of under the radar guys like you mentioned even earlier Sam Roberts has had a very quiet camp looked great last night and it's exactly what they need on the defense um and I say weaknesses ooh um what would I say oh offensive line so they've always they've struggled with depth on the offensive line over the last couple of years I think wasn't last year but the year before they were suffering injuries like every single week. They were switching guys in games on the line. So they were playing out of position like in every single game. And it's gotten a little better. They have some guys, but again, it's the biggest struggle that they're having in camp, which then leads to no protection of the quarterback and no openings for running backs. So if they can figure that out, they still have a little bit of money to play with if they want to try to bring somebody in. Um, there was even people talking about bringing in Scar just to like see if he can figure out Dante Scarnecchia, by the way, <laughs> um, yeah. if he can just figure out what's going on um, with the offensive line. I'm not opposed to it, but the man's in his 70s and he's been retired for a few years. So I think he might want to just like sit and watch the games on TV. I don't know if he wants to really be sitting there analyzing um, some more offensive lines, but we shall see. Um, and you can find me on Twitter at smarshxo. I write for Musket Fire, which is um, the Patriots website on Fansided. And then if you follow me on Twitter, I have um, a link in my bio that has all my links to Instagram, YouTube, all of that. Yeah, uh, make sure to follow her. Be sure to like, comment, subscribe, do all the good stuff, everybody. Sarah, thanks for coming on. Uh, mm -hmm. I don't know if I would say, maybe just for your case, Good luck to the Patriots, maybe. I mean, they're not in our conference, but yeah. I don't know if Giants fans would like me for that. I know, um, right? <laughs> but I, I appreciate you coming on, Sarah.